To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Derek Ratliff. Um, He's the CEO at IOTA Outdoors. So I just got to meet Derek, um, but I really enjoyed our conversations leading up to the podcast and then really enjoyed our podcast. Uh, He's a natural on it. So it's just an authentic conversation, which is perfect for Eastman's Elevated. Um, So Derek works for IOTA Outdoors. IOTA is a new sponsor for Eastman's Elevated, uh, but their products aren't new to us. The guys have been using them in the office for years. They make the the absolute best rings and bases on the market. Um, I always think it's cool. Their rings and bases have a level on it for anti-canting. So I I just think they're the, the best, most solid bases in the market. And we talked to Derek about it a little bit on the podcast, and he explains why. Um, also IOTA outdoors, they also have rifle stocks. Um, they've got some really cool stocks that you can change out for your rifle. They've got a good turnaround on them, just real attractive, good shooting stocks. So make sure to check out IOTA and thanks to those guys for all their support. We sure appreciate it over here at Eastman's. And with that, um, I, we still have that code going at Eastman. So if you're not a subscriber to the hunting journal or the Eastman's bow hunting journal, you can text Elevated 319 to 22828. It'll get you a subscription to both magazines, um, $39. And then um, we'll also get you, wait, $29. Gosh, you just saved you 10 bucks. $29. And they'll give you a free MRS book with the compiled all the compiled information from 2018. It's just a great resource. Uh, I use it all the time. And yeah, we're just keeping busy over at the office there, just cranking away. Um, yeah, we're recording some good podcasts here. Uh, I got a good solo one I'm going to sit down and record. Uh, some good episodes coming up. So yeah, just um, really proud of where this podcast is headed. Keep working hard at it and, and uh, bring you guys that next level content as we're all just absolutely ramping up now as we're just two, three months away from hunting season, which is crazy. Uh, time just flies and... Um, I know my my training, my shooting, my running, everything is getting ramped up, and I I just found out that I drew Colorado the other day, so I'm headed back to Colorado. I went there last year. I'm in a brand new unit, a bunch of 14,000-foot peaks. It's just giant country. I couldn't be more excited. It's going to be a giant wilderness hunt exactly how I like it. So uh, really psyched, drew an early season tag. So my my season's starting to get laid out and scheduled where I know what I'm going to go on and know what I have coming up. Um, so yeah, I'm just super excited and just trying to get all my work done and uh, uh, obligations and things around the house and things of that nature and get everything checked off my list. So when it gets hunting season, that's the only thing I'm focused on. So uh, I'm super excited as I know you guys are too. Um, you know, we're in the final stretch here. So I finish up bear season this weekend. Of course, I was able to harvest that bear, but I still got some buddies with a couple tags. So I'll go out with them this weekend. I'll try to put together a story on it. Uh, those turn out pretty good. You know, it seems to like I can, 
um, put together a story. It doesn't take away from the hunt and share it with you guys. So hopefully we get into some bears and and, uh, hopefully one of my buddies can get one stuck. Would just be awesome and uh, just keep training away. But yeah, it's a fun time of year. Just uh, final training leading up to season. I know you guys are looking forward to it too. But let's get right into this podcast. It's a great conversation. So Derek Ratliff from IOTA Outdoors and then me, your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here with Derek Ratliff. He's the CEO of IOTA, a big supporter of Eastman's and Eastman's Elevated Podcast. So um, thanks for taking the time this morning, Derek. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We've already started and had a pretty good conversation. Um, We were talking about uh, all around here, Montana and where I lived, and you hunted close to here on a bison hunt. Um, It's been a few years, but boy, you got a pile of meat from that thing. I think you said 900 pounds. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it's one of those, it was one of those interesting hunts where, I mean, you know, a lot of people, we, we got mixed reviews of what people thought about us doing that, but the meat was amazing and the experience in the, in the country was amazing. Uh, you know, is it as hard as, you know, calling in a big bull elk? Absolutely not. You know, I mean, but I thought it was interesting. Our guide, uh, you know, told us straight up, he said, look, this, this thing is like Mike Tyson of the woods. I mean, he's literally not scared of anything. So why would he be scared of people? Right. You know, so it's kind of an interesting deal. Well, there's an element of danger there. Right. Yeah, which which makes it fun, you know. Um, Yeah, and there's just so much uh, rich history to the the bison and the bison herds that, yeah, I think everybody should get a chance once in their life to to hunt a great big bison. I I can't get over, like, how big their heads are, those big bulls. It's like as big as your body. What's funny is like once we, you know, once we filled dress it and everything, we took everything to the taxidermy and to the meat processor because you just can't handle it all. I mean, you think you could handle it like you could an elk. I mean, it's not even comparable. And uh, so we had the basically the skull and the cape together. And it kind of as a joke, the guy was like, oh, yeah, we can grab that and throw it in the truck and we'll go get, you know, lunch or whatever. And well, I, I go to pick it up from the processor and I can't even move it. We had to winch it into the back of the truck to take it to the taxidermy. It's amazing. <laughs> But, so the head alone's like two, three hundred oh, pounds yeah. at least. It's huh? crazy, especially with the with the hide on it. I mean, yeah, you you can't move it. Hmm. It's amazing. Oh man, the, for us, like I, I just really bison was something I wanted to do more or less. You know, just kind of a cultural feel, right? I wanted to be in a place where, you know, that that property is like two hundred forty thousand acres, and there are some of the hills like just north of Yellowstone where you know they were telling the stories where the Native Americans used to run them off the cliffs, and you know, I grew up kind of you know, fascinated with that and just wanted to do is as a hunting experience, wanted to do that one time in life. And so it's fun. Yeah. I find myself the same way. It's just something I want to do once in life and for the experience, you know, (laughs) of of hunting the great plains for the great bison, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm so, I'm like that so much on a lot of the different animals is, you know, outside of whitetail and really elk, I love elk, but a lot of the stuff it's like, I just want one good representative of a species hunt and then i'll check it off the list and go to the next one that's just kind of how i typically roll gosh we're we're all individuals and we all kind of have our different way we approach things see i find myself getting hooked on things so like <laughs> i i want to hunt you know like i want to kill you know a, a big black bear with my bow well then i kill one and then it's like the coolest thing i've ever done right. now i just want to <laughs> learn more about it and do it again and go back it's the same thing with like uh hawaii hunting the axis deer out there i just i, I find myself going back every year so that's kind of how i sell the hunt to my wife is this is a once in a lifetime you know and then <laughs> exactly. it, and then i 
end up going back year after year on all these adventures that I have. But yeah, I kind of get hooked on hunting, but I'm with you. I really enjoy the different experience of hunting different species in different habitat. Like it, yeah. there is nothing more exciting than to me than showing up in a new place, like hunting coos deer in the Arizona desert and showing up to something that's to, I'm totally unfamiliar with and a, a new style of hunting that's specifically yep. for those animals. And then seeing them for the first time and watching them and finding mature ones and making stocks and getting to appreciate their instincts and, and how, you know, switched on they are. So I, I love that too. Too, is just going to different places, taking on those different adventures, and it sounds like you're cut from the same cloth. Oh yeah, well, and the, I think the most interesting thing is, and, and you know, I've, I've followed Eastman's for a long time, but it's the the experience of learning the area, like you said, and you're not going to be successful your first time usually. I mean, or at least in my experience, it's been difficult to be successful. And you know, you do all the research and you know all that kind of stuff, and then you still have tweaks that you need to make to your game plan and when you finally do get that animal it's awesome i mean we you know uh, kind of my first experience with that you know i grew up in, in texas and hunted south texas and you know all, all kind of around but you know grew up in the days of where it was vhs is watching tom miranda you know and wanted to get out and and do those things so when i you know moved out to oregon working for bozak man you want to talk about a whole nother experience trying to go from you know deer hunting in texas to spot and stock blacktail with archery equipment in uh western er, in uh, western oregon which is ridiculous <laughs> yeah that's a heck of a learning curve yeah. <laughs> yeah you have to adapt everything you've learned and you can apply the skills that you have but but they they don't you know it's not automatic like you right. have to to relearn the terrain the habitat the species you're hunting and, and i think like taking on these new challenges of like Western Oregon and learning to hunt those blacktails. Like I grew up in Western Washington, so oh, nice, I can relate nice. to you hunting those blacktails <laughs> in that thick cover. But I think taking on that challenge, you pick up this new set of skills that then makes you better on your next hunt. So like that Western Oregon, you get really good at still hunting through the timber. You get really good at seeing animals before they see you, you know, which all translates into your Western yep. hunting you do in other places. Well, I think it's neat, too, that you see – like it's a big – with hunting um, in my family, it's a big cultural thing, right? So my wife loves to go with us on these. I mean she used to hunt quite a bit, and now she just goes with to, to you know experience that. We've done you know Africa and all this kind of stuff. But like what I've learned is you'll go to different regions even, and people just hunt differently. So you can pick up some unique – tips you know like when we moved to oregon for example you know everything in texas most guys were tree stand hunting or ground blind hunting is 20 yards on um you know single cam both right you need something you could draw back smooth but you didn't need to shoot really far and moving to oregon it was like wait a second these guys like when they came in and talked about you know hey i made a pretty close shot it was 60 yards right so they were fast <laughs> it was fast bows and big country um so you like you said you learned a lot you know, it, it changed the the style of equipment I use, and now it's translated to how I hunt down here now. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, where are you at now, Derek? So now I live in College Station. We're back to Texas. You know, live live in, in the Pacific Northwest for two or three years, and then just wanted to get back home. And so you know, we're grew up in Aggie Land here, and and we're, we're in the college here, and so we're right outside of Houston, about an hour and forty minutes. So we're we're kind of like in the middle of Texas. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, far enough away from Houston, but close oh, enough yeah. to where you can go there if you need something. Right, exactly. And we hunt, we hunt all over the place. Like our, you know, our the place I love spending time the most. We have a big uh, ranch in South Texas, and it's probably five hours from here south. You know, so Texas is big, but it gives you a lot of neat diversity. Yeah, how cool. Montana's the same way. It's so mm. diverse, you know, yeah. from the western side. Well, I just got back. I just did a trip over there. Right now we have our spring bear seasons going on. And so um, nice. western Montana is a little bit lower ele- elevation, a little bit more timber, but gnarly country in there. So it tends to green up a little faster than where I'm at, kind of, you know, in the southwest. And, and it's more central of the state. So made a quick trip over there. But it's so diverse from the yeah. breaks to eastern Montana to northwest. West Montana that seems like like the Cascade mountain range yep. or like a coastal mountain range, you know, all the way to, to where I'm at, which is just vintage elk uh, mountains, you know, with, with big open parks and, and sparse timber. And, and so it's just so fun, like, to live in a big state like this. But a lot of times, yeah, it takes me longer to travel to someplace <laughs> in Montana than it does to drop down into a different state and hunt a different state. It's just a, a big state, and Texas is even bigger yet. Yeah, and it's, it's fun. It just it gives you a lot of diversity, and I, I enjoy it. So, yeah, Texas has to be fun down there. Like hunting that South Texas. Are you hunting for um, whitetails down there? Yeah, mostly mostly whitetail. But I mean, Texas has a lot of, you know, like we hunt Western Texas quite a bit, and you have a lot of free range exotics and you know all, all dead and that kind of stuff. I really like the all dead. I mean, spot and stalks, kind of like we always laugh. It's sort of the poor man's sheep hunt around here, you know. But um, it, it's 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 quite a bit of fun. Man, but, yeah, that is, that's just what I was going to get to is the odd dad down there. That seems <laughs> really fun to me too. Like it like it is. I like these like blue collar adventures you can do and odd ad seems like one of them and you're hunting sheep and they they seem really switched on and uh tough to harvest and then the country looks really rugged and cool too with that West Texas. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's cool about that, you know, we we come like our background in our company is really on the long range rifle side right and so it fits that really well you know you'll get and and the thing about that country is it's it's all about the angle so you know you'll get some sharp cliffs where it's easier better to shoot them further out so that you've got a little bit more trajectory where you can actually see them because as you get closer to the base of the mountain you end up kind of losing where they're at but no it's it's a lot of fun i've been taking my i've got a six-year-old boy who we've started hunting he killed two deer this year and been shooting a lot of long-range stuff with him and um you know been been trying to get him an odd ad but they've been they've been putting the slip on us quite a bit how cool yeah um what a neat experience for him being able to grow up and do things like that. I've got two daughters myself. We're 15 and 11. Oh, nice. And yeah, incorporating the outdoors. You know, we were just fishing yesterday and did a drift on the Madison out here, but just incorporating that into their lives and giving them that. And it also like you, you're just um, you're giving them something that the dad and daughters or dad and son can do and enjoy together. And it's it's adventurous. It's not just being around the house or in the backyard. You know, you get to go do something real. But what a neat opportunity you're creating for him. Well, I think the fun thing about it, and people overlook, it's the small details that he gets to learn, right? So I, you know, just for fun, sat down and, and interviewed him the other day just about his hunting. And he's left, he mainly he's um, right-handed, left-eye dominant. So like I said, as a six-year-old, we're trying to kind of teach him, you know, how and what and why and all, all that kind of stuff. And he's a really good shot. But, um, you know, it's like, well, you know, what is your favorite thing about hunting? 
And the first thing that came to his mind was he said, I love, I love seeing the, the animals. I said, okay, that's cool. You know, what, what animals? He's like, bluebirds. I just love seeing the bluebirds. And, you know, it's, you, you, I think a lot of times as we get older in our hunting, you know, or I think you go through hunting life stages, right? So at first it's just infatuated with, you know, the outdoors and all of a sudden it's, I want to shoot everything. And then now you, as you get older, it's kind of like bringing other people into it. And it's more about the hunt than it is kind of the animal, right? So it's fun to see your, your kids go through that progression you know um and i think that a lot of times as you become an older hunter there's a a a time in your hunting life cycle that you you miss the details because you're so focused on the end game you know oh you're so right derek um seeing the hunt through their eyes is um so fun and and you're right we forget all those details and to us it comes second nature to you know whether whether we're to get our rest and to get set up to acquire our target but all of that has to be learned by them but also yeah i just find like those details you're talking about like describing to my daughter like looking at tracks and where they're going mm-hmm. and and then you know telling her like all the basics uh what the deer are doing and now they're coming back to bed and they like to bed in this thick step but just seeing it through their eyes and seeing them soak it all in and and i tell you they make good little hunters when you can give them oh, all yeah. the right information from the start and getting them practiced and and you just setting them up for success oh, like yeah. like um not that my dad didn't put the time or effort into me but it, it was just kind of like we cut loose and went you know and so <laughs> yeah. i had to learn the hard way but you know a lot of misses school of hard knocks like uh getting good rest aims like i had to make mistakes and learn from them but through those mistakes and through that journey i'm able to kind of shorten their learning curve by you know like with the rifle we're always practice our shooting positions and then you know we're always dry firing you know on on a deer target and figuring out where to aim on that deer and um you know there there's just so much preparation where you can really set those kids up for success yeah absolutely yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, just another real quick example, like we were on that Audad hunt and got a chance to describe like, you know, hunting into the wind and why that was important. Right. And man, and just to see him process that thought and then take it super seriously the rest of the hunt. Right. So it was more than more than even me a couple of times. It's like, OK, we're going to go this way. Ah, no, not that. You know, the wind's this way. We got to go this way, you know. And so it's fun. I really enjoy that part. Yeah. Well, and um. Gosh, my girls are such good shots. Like just learning that that right way from the beginning, they they're better shots than most grown men I know. You know, they just they don't. Yeah. You know, they listen to what you're telling them and they soak it in, just like your boy in the wind. Yep. Well, now all of a sudden, there's no way you can hunt with the wrong wind. He's gonna call you out on right. it. You know? exactly. it's a, and it's the exactly. same thing with my daughters and their shooting. They just listen to me and they they squeeze on the trigger instead of jerking it like they're supposed to. And and it's amazing. They just hit those animals perfect. Just like they should um it, they they just take in information at that young age so well one well, of young ladies are even even better at it a lot of times you know we've we've worked with a, quite a few kids and 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 built quite a few custom rifles and stocks and stuff for people getting their their kids into it and kind of what i've learned a lot of times is the let's say let's take a 10 year old boy and girl right the differences the boy a lot of time man it is he's already to that stage where it is about sending it down range right so <laughs> to hold his patience to aim is so much more difficult than uh, a lot of times like with a lady you're you're more or less talking them into okay you're not going to be perfectly still it's going to be okay you know so there's this an, a neat mixed um which is why i think you know and, and you're seeing a lot of lady hunters now and, and doing really well yeah, they make good little hunters, and and you're right. Like, I've seen my daughter, 
like be on a deer and we're in range and we're trying to get her like maybe we can't get prone and she's on the sticks and a kneeling or a, and and she just won't shoot unless she's yep. steady <laughs> like she knows what I've told her she knows what she feels downrange she knows the the trigger practice we've had and so she just won't shoot at that deer unless she's steady you know and sometimes that deer gets away or we don't get an opportunity I said you know, why didn't you shoot? And she just said, I, I just wasn't steady, Dad. I, you know, yep. I wasn't going to hit it right. And it's like you're you're so many levels above where, where I was. I would have emptied a box of shells and still been <laughs> shooting at that thing and, and never yep. touched it, you know. Like I just had to learn a different way. But, yeah, they really process it well. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, it is super fun. Well, um, so you guys do stocks for you. So IOTA um, – I really love your guys' rings that you guys produce with Appreciate the it. with the level that, that is anti-canting. That is so important, and they're so rock steady, too, where Appreciate they never it. get knocked off, where you can just trust that your rifle's going to be on at all times. Yeah, I think you make the best rings out there on the market. I mean, I, I really appreciate that. It's, you know, when we started IOTA, you know, we, we kind of came from it from the custom rifle side with Horizon, and, and it was like, there were certain things that just really frustrated us, right? You know, rings being one of them, uh, and then obviously our stocks kind of being another. And it was, we, we sat down and we said, look, why don't we just start designing around the issues that we have and we'll service ourselves? And then, you know, if we're servicing ourselves correctly, that we're servicing our rifle customers, then these should be products that, that people need and want in the space, right? So, you know, really kind of the ring and base it was funny enough, it, it really got started uh, doing coyote tournaments, which I know that's right now is a hot topic and kind of a controversial issue for a lot of people. But, you know, we were doing quite a few coyote tournaments. And what happened was as we were going up to Wyoming and, and some of these places where, you know, you, I mean, you're from big, big country, right? So you, you can shoot a lot further at night on some of these, you know, coyote hunts. And um, it got to, well, I was watching guys that we were hunting with from Wyoming lay prone at night and shoot coyotes at four and 500 yards like it was nothing, right? And and growing up in the south, when people were hunting coyotes around here, I mean, you're calling them to, you know, closer than 100 yards, a far shot at night, maybe 200 yards. And so when we were dialing turrets, we're like, man, this is kind of annoying because we can't see our turrets and – we can't see the can. People don't realize and people overlook can't. Can't's a huge problem with long range shooting. You know, I mean, a six degree, so basically a bubble off can't at 500 yards will move a seven mag about four and three quarter inches high and away to the direction that you're canning. And you're, the however high you mount your scopes makes it worse, right? So, um, you know, we were like, <laughs> got tired of finding the flashlight and, and having somebody hold the you know phone light and all this kind of stuff. And so we created our zero light and then, which is basically an anti-can that mounts to the scope that has an integrated light that you can take on and off so that you can use it in different types of hunting applications. And then we integrated that into our, our ring and base sets and then took it one step further with our triad bases and basically made, um, so pick, a lot of people are familiar with Picatinny ring and base sets. So where you basically slide, slide the rings on the Picatinny set, you push it forwards and lock them down, right? So that basically keeps, as the gun recoils back and the weight of the scope's going forward, the inertia, essentially your ring and bases don't move. Well, what we were finding is a lot of guys are running uh, heavy scopes, traveling a lot, hunting. Um, at the same time, you know, these, these big sporting ARs, these 300 Win Mag ARs, you know, get kind of a double bounce with some of these big scopes and a lot of the, the ring and bases were moving. And so we're like, man, why don't we create a keyed base system? So you, when you get a set of our triad rings, you get a, 
varying sizes of keys that will take up the slop in your Picatinny rail, and you can actually press fit your Picatinny, kind of creating a one-piece base um, set with it. So that's sort of where we took our, our rings and bases, and we make direct mounts and um, you know and that kind of stuff too. So it, it's been a fun journey, and, and we use on all of our stuff, and, and that's the whole reason we created them. Man, uh, yeah, you guys have thought out and worked through the details, haven't you, to make the absolute <laughs> best high-end set you can. And yep. and you're right, you trust your whole hunt to these things, and you're yeah. so much travel. And um, you know, and if you're flying somewhere, those airline guys, they're the nicest with your luggage. They don't throw oh, it around yeah. at all, <laughs> especially I mean, I a watched, gun case. Oh yeah, I mean, I watched uh, Delta and Johannesburg drop my gun case from. <laughs> you might as well have just thrown it out of the plane. You know, it just <laughs> fell off the uh, conveyor at the very top. And uh, and then the next leg of it, somehow they managed to bust off uh, a master lock on one of the corners. You know, it's just it's amazing how gentle they are with your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and and not only that, but just the the traveling in your vehicle, and then the okay. mountains. If you're doing any type of mountain hunt, you know those steep side hills and things. They're they're um, they're just not forgiving. And you, as much as you try to protect your rifle, it's inevitable in that rough country. You end up falling on that thing and, and then you're spend the next couple days like just hoping your scope's on you know so it's so nice to have like a system that you guys ha have worked through and have tested that you just know you can trust that yep. thing is on and For and sure. it's a huge deal like you say the canting i think that's overlooked and especially on those steep hillsides i mean you talk about you know a six percent can't you can yep. can't way more than that and you don't even notice it on a steep hillside you know you lay down get a prone rest and you're laying on a 30 degree slope like you can really have that rifle canted do everything right on your execution and miss that animal a foot to the left or a foot to the right which just yep. be horrible you know and i love that the that the level is right there in your field of view it, it's just part of your setup then well, what I think a lot of people do, we see a lot of people, it's, it's one of two ways. Either they pay a lot of attention when they set their gun up, you know, they're, they're leveling their scope, they're checking tracking, they're leveling the target when they shoot. And then they go out in the range or go out in the field and, and you're exactly right. You get, you get on a hillside and you lose your perspective for what is um, level, right? And so, you know, it's, it's either my gun was really level and now my shot's not or the opposite effect. It's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a sloppy zero. And when I get out in the field, I'm like, okay, I'm really, really aiming on this buck. I'm going to make sure it's level. Well, it has the inverse effect if you don't set it up properly, you know. And so, I mean, at the same time, we, we, we have people that will be like, ah, oh, well, I only shoot 200 yards. I don't really need a level. Okay, I get that on minute of animal. That's fine. I totally get that, not arguing that point. But when you're trying to shoot small groups, and, and uh, you know that seems to be more and more of a trend, uh, this precision rifle and long-range rifle section of the market is so big right now. Um, you know, When you're trying to shoot tight groups, you're not going to do it if you're not tilting the rifle the same every time. When you talk about um, like that odd ad hunt, the closer to the mountain and you lose perspective, <laughs> yeah. you can't see the animal. Like I, I, I like to get close and kill them too, whether it's bow or yeah. rifle. Sure, I like to get to 200 yards, but there's sometimes where that's just not feasible, you know. And and so you either don't take a shot or your hunt's over, or you improve your skill set to where you go into a hunt knowing that you can make a four or five hundred yard shot and knowing that your equipment can, and, and nearly all equipment can nowadays if you just spend time yeah. with it. And um, 
and, and just having that confidence, you never know what the, when that's going to be your hunt right there at a 400-yard shot you need to make. And if you have yep. that confidence and the right equipment, then you can lay down, you know, level your rifle, execute a good shot, and all of a sudden you knock down that 200-inch muley or that, you know, 370 bull or whatever. You just never know where that opportunity is going to come. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's – and that's the thing is, like, we build – like on the rifle side, you know, we really focus on precision bolt guns, right? And so, you know, yes, do we do some long range hunting? Yes. And do we build guns for guys that do a lot of it? Yes. But I mean, we're not promoting people to go out and shoot, you know, 1200 yard elk, right? But at the same time, like you're, you, you nailed it. Great example. We, we were building some guns for a guy out of Colorado and I asked him, why do you care about having your guns, you know, why do you care about having nice guns for your customer and set up long range with the turrets and all that kind of stuff? He said, man, because what I've figured out is that a lot of times you'll have the buck of a lifetime at 500 yards. And it's either that you're going to make that shot. I'm going to feel good about the customer making the shot. They're going to come back. They're going to get the deer of a lifetime or we're going to walk away, you know, or bump it or, you know, those kind of things. And so it's just that extra degree of when you need it, you know, it's there kind of thing. Well, yeah, and in, in accuracy, like to be pinpoint accurate, like I think of my bow, like a lot of times, you know, I like to get into 30, 40, 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Those are my money shots. Um, but if you just like um, if you just settle for being able to shoot a two foot group at, at 40 yeah. yards, you know, like, sure, you're going to hit the animal. Well, probably, maybe, you know, right. but to get that pinpoint accuracy, you just need to go through your equipment with a fine tooth comb, put in the practice and put in the work. And, and usually you're shot on an animal in that fog of adrenaline. And, you yep. know, like a uh, buck fever is real. And we all know it. we've all seen people miss that are completely capable of making those shots. Yep. Um, but but to be able to 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 keep your calm, to be able to work with your your rifle or your bow. So your bow, you know, a lot of times you're practicing these farther distances. So it makes that that 30 yards so easy. It makes that 40 yards so easy. And same yeah. thing with the rifle. When you practice those longer yardages, all of a sudden 300 is an easy shot. That's all I have to get to. Or 400 yep. is a makeable shot. And, and it just walking around with that confidence, you know, having the right equipment, putting the time with it and walking around with confidence. Like I was hunting um, with a guy the other day that does a bunch of guiding mm-hmm. and he guides a bunch of spring black bears and just telling me about all the guys that miss. Like he has more guys <laughs> miss than make shots you yeah. know, with a rifle. And he, yep. he just says these guys pay all this money. They come out here and then both the guide and the client are putting in so much effort climbing these mountains and these hills just to find a good shooter bear and then put themselves in range. And then when they get in range, you know, they don't have the, the right equipment or they haven't put the time in with their rifle. They end up missing, and so they spent all this money, and they have to go home as a, as a failure because right. they just didn't put in the time or the effort to, to get that accuracy to where they can make a shot. And I tell you, guys can miss a 200-yard shot pretty easily too. I've seen yep. it happen. Well, we call it well, – we, we always – talk about it here is when we we talk to customers we always refer to it as margin of error right but we're just trying to build in the most margin of error as possible in terms of how you you know customer not how your gun shoots you know what your equipment system is like and then obviously your your practice regimen and what you're comfortable with right and so we tell a lot of people it's like think of it this way most of the time under pressure you're going to perform at your worst 
you, you can expect that you're always going to perform at your um, at whatever your average worst is. That makes sense, right? So if I'm practicing with a bow and um, you know on an average day I'm shooting a X size group, right? You know, that's that's what I can expect. Not my my good days. When you make that great shot, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's a great group. Well, that's not what you're going to perform under pressure. And so what we try and say is, if we can take a gun that instead of a one minute angle gun, let's just say you had a half minute angle gun, regardless brand, manufacturer, whatever, right? And you take that and um, at you got a mule deer at 700 yards. Okay, so we got a seven inch kill zone. I've hiked the mountain. I got the mule deer of a lifetime, buck fever, and some element conditions that I can't control, wind, wind direction, whatever. Now I'm shooting a seven inch group at that distance on a seven inch kill zone versus if I had a half minute gun, I would be shooting a three and a half inch group at that distance. And I have three and a half inches worth of margin of error. Right. And so that's kind of what we tell people. It's, it's all about, you know, how much buffer are you going to give yourself, you know, whether it's archery or whether it's rifle or whatever it is. And, and knowing uh, that on the varying distance and situation that you're in. I really like the way you explain that, Derek. Yeah, that that is exactly how it goes in the field. That's the way I think of it, too. Like with my arrows, my worst arrow in the group is probably the arrow I'm going to shoot at an animal because <laughs> right. I'm not in my flip-flops in my backyard, you know. I'm standing right. on an uneven hillside, you know. I, I've... Uh, I'm I'm hyped up from adrenaline. So you're right. You have to like your margin for error or you want the most forgiving setup you can. So when you make a little mistake, your worst arrow in the group or your worst bullet in the group is still a good bullet, is still yeah. a good arrow, and you end up harvesting that animal. I really like right. the way you explain that. And it's always funny with archery. Like, I, I shot a ton of archery, did good tournament archery through college. And I mean, that's really what got me really into the outdoor industry. But the best thing about arrows versus gun, it's like you can almost blame it on that one arrow. Like I was notorious for keeping a permanent marker with me, and it's like, oh, that was a bad arrow. Okay, that's that's arrow. I'm gonna put on the fletching. That's bad one, right? And then later on, you shuffle them back up. Well, bad one ends up being the one perfect in the center. And you're like, huh, that's probably me, not the arrow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so true. Like um, half the time, some of the changes I make in archery. I don't think I shoot good enough to even tell the difference, you know, like between like a three or a four fletch or, you know, whatever it is. But that attention to detail and that getting as, as accurate as you can be, building a forgiving setup, you know, creating a, a good margin of error for yourself, it just pays dividends down the road. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. And so – um I'm also like really interested. I want to get my hands on one of those custom stocks that you guys are making. Mm -hmm. So I saw like three different models on the yep. website that you produce. I think the stock has a lot to do with the accuracy of the rifle as well. It does, and it has a lot to do with the feel of the rifle in terms of recoil, right? So people are like, oh, I want a light gun, but man, I don't want a light gun because it recoils. Well, there's a lot of things that people don't think about in the stock that we have to really think about in the, in the precision rifle world. So, I mean, when you, when you think about, um, you know, stock setup, right, there's, there's multiple different categories. So what we do with our, our stocks is we do a carbon fiber composite. It's hand laid and we do molded in colors. Okay. So basically if you were to throw the rifle down the mountain, the color on the stock is through the stock. It's not painted on afterwards. That seems to be a lot of guys will do a carbon fiber stock and they'll put paint on it afterwards. Well, that paint's still going to stretch, uh, scratch off. It's just an epoxy paint where ours is actually molded into it. And so then when you look at it from that perspective, what we start doing is is in the contour and design so 
you know, the grip. Are we shooting a vertical grip? I mean, if you reach your hand out to shake somebody's hand, your hand is not canted back like it is um, on a lot of traditional hunting stocks where, you know, a lot of traditional hunting stocks are shaped that way to remove weight. Well, but now with new composites and materials, you know, that vertical grip is a more normal position. Um, it helps you pull through the, um, through the shot, like more in a linear motion, you know, through and away from the, the, the target at the same time. Um, like our Kremlin is my favorite stock that we do. It has a very, what they call a straight line recoil. So from where the rifle engages the recoil lug to the top comb that where it engages the shooter is very linear. And the reason that's important is your gun tracks back straight into the shooter and then back forward out of the recoil so that you can watch the impact, right? So a lot of times, you know, if you're shooting your rifle and when you pull the trigger, you can't watch it hit the animal at whatever distance or you can't watch it within reason hit the target and know where you hit when you pull the trigger. A good portion of that outside of form, a good portion of that is stock design, um, you know, and so we see, you know, a lot of stuff in the in the rifle world is not really designed now towards the, um, you know, kind of the, the shooter community. So kind of what we've done is sort of try and take what the precision guys are doing, you know, the guys who are, are trying to be really, really accurate and big blocky stocks. And, and we do that too with our, um, with our clutch model, adjustable cheek piece, flat four ends. And then we're trying to merge that with our, our hunter market, you know, and, and to the extent that, you know, our crux stock is a 27 ounce lightweight stock, right? And, but if you look at it, it looks very different than your traditional hunting stock in the terms of we have some, interesting recesses in it in order to, to remove about three ounces worth of weight we have a longer grip a little thicker profile and then we do small details like it has a hard negative comb meaning if you held the stock up the butt of the stock is higher than where the kind of the throat of the stock is and while that's important essentially as most of the felt recoil like most of the time you're oh man that gun kicked a lot of it is the gun hitting your face, you know, and you, and, you know, all of us have shot a lot of shotgun. You'll get that bruise there on your cheekbone. And that's where you're feeling the, um, the recoil. So as the, a negative comb stock will allow the rifle to move away from your face as it's coming back. So you don't feel the recoil. Um, same thing you'll notice like with our new Tika stock and the clutch and the uh, crux stocks, we have what we call thumb detents on either side. So in a small hunting stock and you can, Practice this on whatever rifle and whatever rifle stock you're using. Instead of wrapping your thumb around the throat of the grip, you know, a lot of people just grab the throat, right? Well, think about what you're doing to the rifle. As you're squeezing the trigger and you're pulling your hand tighter on that rifle, you're actually causing that rifle to cant. And, you know, you're, you're forcing it to turn. So what we're trying to do is keep people to keep their thumb on the, the trigger finger side in a more linear setup um, to eliminate cant in the uh, in the rifle. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into stocks that I think people just like, oh, that stock looks cool. I'm going to get that. I think people overlook that as part of the accuracy platform. Oh, my gosh. I know I have. Yeah, just um, you made so many great points there about the rifle stock and accuracy that I hadn't thought about, but that totally makes sense to me and that I can wrap my head around that lineal pull, like you're saying, 
um, pulling straight back on the rifle, like not having your hand canted. Um, that's something I never thought about, but it's like so important, like your follow through of a bow with your release as you're pulling straight back. If your elbow gets any which direction, that shot does not go in the middle, you know? So it's so important. Same theory with the rifle. And I like what you're saying about like the thumb wrapped over the top is as you start to squeeze and tense up, you can't that rifle right at the end, right at your shot execution, which can make that, that bullet go up. Um, well, and I, I think there's, and that's why, you know, like I said, I, I, I shot a ton of archery in college. I mean, that was like what I was known for, right? Went where to bow take the whole thing. And then all of a sudden come back and now we're doing precision rifles. And, you know, the, the, my bow hunter community friends are like, what are you doing? Like, why, you know? And so no, you don't understand the, the precision rifle world. It's the same. You know, it, it's the same concepts down to I'm tuning my ammo just like I would tune the the spine of my arrow or my fletching or whatever, right? And so in the shooting piece, you know, our our coach, um, he was actually the Olympic coach for the Athens uh, uh, Olympics, Olympics or whatever. But you know, his big push was you're pushing through the target, right? So you're you're trying to do everything on a linear basis, push your sight through the center of the target, your elbow straight away on the back tensions, and you, you're creating this sort of you know form right you're that's the whole reason we're you know wearing um the the finger slings so that the rifle so that the the bow can essentially jump towards the target um you know you're using certain kinds of grips so that you don't can't the riser it's all transitioning that same thought over to the rifle world and it's the exact same thing it's just as rifle hunters it's it's such a um it's such it's been all around longer than a lot of the compound archery hunting thing has been um, that we just don't think about it the same way for some reason. It's like, you know, we just feel like anybody can pick up a gun and go shoot a deer, right? Um, but when you really break it down, I mean, there's a lot to being a good shooter. Yeah, you're right. There's so many correlations. And, and dissecting your shooting, whatever you're hunting with, mm-hmm. and being good with your weapon is so important. And with a rifle, just like we talk about, that that accuracy is so important. Like having that right form, the right setup, is it's just going to make you – you know, more deadly in the mountains. Like yep. it's going to equal more critters in the end. So, I, yeah, I love your guys' attention to detail and some of the things you're bringing up. I, I haven't even thought about, but it yep. just makes so much sense for our accuracy. I also like that higher cheek, like what you were saying mm-hmm. for recoil. That recoil is so important to accuracy, but but also like like getting a getting a really good seat on the rifle or having yep. a, a really good fit to the rifle and, and having the eye relief you need, like setting up your rifle and that attention to detail and setting it up the right way. Um, it, it's so important. And like, just like you were saying, the um, a lot of guys just go, well, it's good enough. It's rifle hunting. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, it's easier said <laughs> than done. Like you can say yep. it's easy out here. I have seen more guys miss stuff with rifles just having that attitude, not spending the time with their rifle, not properly preparing, not doing the, the research and looking at their form. They just think, oh, it's good enough. I, you know, The gun sighted in. I hit it 100 yards. I'm, I'm good out to four or 500, and that's just not the case. Right. Well, I think a lot of people too are – how do I say this? It's okay to change things on your setup, even mid-season or, you know, in the sense that, for example, I mean, obviously, and this is unfair because, like I said, we're for a stock company. We get to try a lot of stuff out, but um, I'll change my rifle stock depending on, you know, what I'm doing, right? So I've got a – right now I'm shooting a carbon fiber uh barreled 6.5 PRC and I have our 27 ounce clutch stock and I use that on elk hunts and that kind of stuff where I know I'm going to be uh, backpacking cutting out a few ounces worth of weight um, 
and just because I know it's I, I'm, I'm in a hunting situation, I'm probably not going to be make, having to do you know precision shots. Um, but that you know I'm going to shoot one shot prone, that kind of thing. But the weight I'm going to have every day, right? On the flip side, you know if I know I'm not going too far, I would rather have like our Kremlin. So we're not talking a whole lot of weight, right? We're talking 27 ounces to 33 ounces on our lightweight Kremlin. But me personally, I have one of our heavier Kremlins, which is two and a half pounds, that I like to switch back to. And I do most of my, you know, hunting and shooting with it because I'm a prone shooter. Anytime you can put me prone on something, um, I've, I've found that I'm way better off. At the same time, it's like I've missed more deer up close than I have out far because buck fever is a real thing. <laughs> so I like, I mean, I like to keep, you know. My comfort zone, three and four hundred yards. If there's something three and four hundred yards, I mean, it, I'm nailing it, right? And so I like a setup that's made for that, you know, that longer shot setup. Um, so anyway, like I said, I think people just go, "Oh, this is my rifle, and I want to, I don't want to mess with it because I'm gonna have to reside it in." Well, you know, your barreled action and scope to change your stock, you don't have to. How do I say this? With the right stock. It's very little change. You may shoot one shot to let the stock set in, and then you're good to go. So um, you're not re-zeroing and starting over, and it's okay to it's okay to make those changes. I mean, you know. I think uh, it makes you more comfortable too. Like being yeah, yeah. able to make changes gives you confidence in in, in your equipment and in your setup. And, and I'm the same way. I'm always changing. I'm always moving stuff. If I go out and shoot and I'm off, I'm gonna move my scope. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna move my sight. <laughs> like I just I, I'm I have. I have confidence in moving my equipment and setting up my equipment, and so I think it's a good thing when you can change things out and then have confidence that you can get reset up because the more familiar you get with your weapon, your 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 rifle, and more familiar you get with changing things out, just the better you get at setting them up and getting them all set and ready for that hunt, which then you go in the hunt with complete confidence. So, man, yeah. I think that's a good thing that, that you can change things out middle of the season. And, you know, I see some guys, you know, with their bow or their rifle, or they'll shoot their rifle – and their group will be off, but they don't want to move their scope because that's the way right. it's always been for the last three or four years. It's like I'm going to move my scope till it's right in the middle, and then I'm going to walk around with confidence. So you you do have to get comfortable with being able to change out parts and pieces, with being able to get up to set up your rifle and know it's set up right, and like to. To sight in your rifle, that's another thing that's easier said than done. Guys go out and think they're going to sight in their rifle, and they can't shoot a good group or a good enough right. group, or their barrel gets hot, or there's so many variables or a slight wind or whatever the case is. And it's just spending time with your rifle and setting it yeah. up as many times as you can, and then you have confidence. You know you know, if you get a windy day or if you don't quite yeah. have a group, or you just have confidence in your shooting to where you know that you can get it dialed in. I think that's yeah. important. Well, and knowing if it's you or the rifle. You know, like I know my rifle well enough, and I've shot enough now that it's like if I make a if I make a bad shot, I know it's a bad shot, not the rifle, right? And so that you can make changes, you know, and and things do change. I mean, you know, you may get into a groove where hey, now for some weird reason I'm holding my rifle like this, but I'm doing it consistently, so I need to change X, Y, or Z, or um, you know, I've, I've gotten a bad habit because I'm so used to this trigger full pull. Maybe I need to drop my trigger weight a couple ounces to kind of re-get back into the the groove. And so, yeah, I mean, it's you know, all that stuff's okay. I don't think as as an industry we tell people it's all right, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, self analysis. Yeah, right. being honest with yourself. Yeah, trying to figure it out if it if it is the rifle or if it is you. Like being able to look at it honestly and not get frustrated. Keep working yeah. with it and and get it set up and dialed in, and then you're I mean, ready to go hunt. 
great example of that. We, you know, and I don't want to tell on anybody, but you know, we were at the shooting range out here, and we we test every single rifle, right? So we shoot every single rifle. We guarantee half minute groups. They come with a birth card, all that kind of stuff. So we shoot a bunch of guns, and um, you know, we were sitting out there, and there's a a local guy who I know is a good shooter. I've seen him make really good shots, um, but every time I've been out there, I notice he doesn't have. There's a degree of confidence or knowledge of a situation that he, that he is always struggling with, right? Like I know his gun's a shooter, um, you know, and I've seen it, right? And so he was getting ready for a tournament, and it, we're talking like it's probably 17 mile an hour winds, you know, coming almost 90 degrees, but it was pretty shifty, and shifty winds hard, right? And so I see him shoot an okay group at 500. I mean, nothing wonderful, but better than most people, right? And he's doing, you know, on and off, uh, you know, basically doing these these tournaments where it's just hit or miss steel, right? And uh, when that kind of wind, that kind of condition, I'm like, that's totally fine. But I, I see him get discouraged and walk over to his friend, and he's like, man, I'm I'm uh, two tenths off at 500 yards. That's literally two clicks on on the scope, right? So we're talking um you know 3.6 times two six times seven times five um or 0.75 times five so basically like four inches off at 500 yards right um ish and uh, i see him walk up to his friends like man i may have to borrow a rifle i'm just it's just just not shooting right i'm like bro it's shooting great you just shot a great group at 100 yards at 500 yes you're getting shifty wind through the valley and it's the night before the tournament shoot the thing you know um so it's just interesting to me. Just uh, it's and it just it takes a little bit of getting getting used to. There's so much human psyche that plays into oh, it too, gosh. isn't there? You get Ridiculous. inside your own head. Like uh, life in general is all mental, but yeah, you start you know, breaking it down into shooting matches and rifles, oh, and a lot of it's between the ears. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much so, and half the time, like I've noticed with me, um, a lot of times, like we'll set up to to you know make a shot or whatever and, and and you'll be in x y or z wind a lot of times your first gut reaction your first wind call is probably your right your your, your best one you know in, in terms of your overanalyze and check and change and all this kind of stuff and then you know um it's you know it's just one of those things it's funny it's i, I funny find how that the, too yeah you got to trust your instincts don't you you can second guess it and rehash it out and rethink about it and then you kind of change your number or change your hold and then all of a sudden you figure out that your first instinct your first thought was the right one well same thing on hunting i mean it's like how many times are we pick a trail and we're gonna go down this trail because you know the bull's bugling this way or whatever and then you get there maybe he wasn't there and you're like oh god man i should have done the other one well you know and it's like it's so funny it's funny how we we do that but that's why i think that's what keeps us going out in the field that's what drives us to you know continue to to go out and do it again well in that hindsight's always 2020 so you make a decision (laughs) and it doesn't work out and you think well i should have done the other thing you know but a big part of it too is like sticking with your decision that you make and in giving it the effort like you know like you were just talking about walking down the trail which ties back to your experience and your instincts you know and which trail you're going to walk or which way you're going to go but I find like I'll make a decision for a day and I'll walk up a canyon and you can either spend all day walking up that canyon thinking you should be somewhere else or it's like this is what I chose for today. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it my full effort, my full attention, and I'm going to go in here and I'm going to glass every feature and I'm either going to see them or I'm not. But I'm not going to spend the whole day up here thinking I should be somewhere else. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um yeah, well, uh, you guys are making great products. Uh, personally, Appreciate what do you it. got going on this year, Derek? Um, have you drawn any good hunts yet? 
Man, not this year. I actually didn't draw anything out that uh, I've been trying to gain some points for Colorado on mule deer. Um, I can't even remember how many I'm at right now on on deer and and didn't draw anything. Usually, um, I try and go to New Mexico on an elk hunt. We do have some some family property that, up next to the Carson that we kind of you know draw amongst ourselves. Um, but really, this year. Um, as far as what I've got coming out, it's really, we're going to Africa in July. This will be my third time, uh, with John X safaris over there and got a group of about 10 people, um, heading over there and it's going to be, be fun. Man, how fun is that place? I haven't been over there yet, but what a diversity of, of wildlife over there. Oh, it's ridiculous. And uh, I mean, I don't know, it, it gets a bad rap a lot of times, but there's a lot of good stuff going uh, going on over there. The, in terms of, how do I say this? Yes, there is, you know, I know a lot of people are anti-hyphens, right? So there, yes, there are some hyphens properties. Yes, there are some small ones, but there's also some giant ones. Um, and, you know, and, and different countries each have their own regulations as to, you know, how that has to be done and all that. But, I mean, I took my wife with me last year and the um, the culture, she loved the culture. Yeah, it's, it's such a big part of the experience too, isn't it? Like the culture and soaking it in and seeing how they do things. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it. And you're right. We all just need to put in our own research because Africa yeah. is a giant country. So oh, like yeah. finding the right place that fits your hunting style and, and the experience you want, like, like that's a huge part of it. And once you can figure that out and, and, and search out and find that, you know, then you can go and have a great time and, and go experience Africa like you want to experience it. Right. Well, it's like people say, oh, I'm going to South Africa. Great. That'd be like me saying I'm going to Montana. You know, it's like, OK, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm going to the United States. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just it's crazy. And so what we do, um, you know, John X has several different camps what I like about them. And, you know, I've learned a lot about how you book appropriately and, and what animals and that kind of stuff. And varying different animals have. You know, different places they live, different habitats, you know, and, and you know, that kind of deal. So, you know, I've, I've hunted everything from kudu to Anyala to this year we're actually going with um, uh, Jeff Predator Pursuits coming with us. We're going to do some, uh, you know, jackal calling and that kind of stuff. And then they actually, most people don't know, but they have free-range fallow deer. How fallow deer have been in South Africa for about 160 years um, and that's one of the main things on, on my list, which uh, was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, God, I just got done hunting fallow in New Zealand, free range fallow down there. Um, and we, and we oh, just really we had an awesome spot to hunt down there. Um, so, so we went and hunted free range fallow, um, and we hit the croak absolutely perfect. They were rutting like crazy. Like you can hunt the same place and not find a decent buck. But when we were there, they were all getting their rut pads going. They were all croaking. I ran around there like a madman. It was all like open, dry, like desert habitat. Like it looked like Nevada and you could yeah. just hear these croaks coming from these drainages and really? you go in there and then just a dinosaur of a big old fallow deer. Yeah. And I ended up arrowing a, a really nice one guy. He's got mm. such good palm and points and i don't think they get much nicer like he'd be you know if it was sci it'd be gold standard what just a that's great awesome, one. Man. Oh man it was so fun I and the fallow that... deer eat so good oh that meat is so tender and delicious really? yeah i didn't realize that they so so explain that to me it's kind of like a roar or bugle do you call back to them or how does that work exactly 
I think you could croak. Um, I just can't make the noise real well, and it was my first time hunting them, and so <laughs> I just spot and stalked them and kind of listened to the croak and then would move towards the sounds and kind of look for them. But, yeah, they rut different than an elk or a deer. They have what's called a rut pad. So they don't go and search out the, the hinds or the does. Um, what they do is they just scrape up all the brush around them, and they tear up the ground, and they try to grab the best piece of real estate there, and then they just sit there and they croak and they draw the does into them. And and so there's a lot of croaking. There There's some animals that are sitting on their rut pad. There's other bucks that are traveling and cruising and trying to steal does away or steal somebody's rut pad there, like steal another buck's rut pad. But it was a lot like um, – it felt a lot like hunting elk in open terrain, and they're really switched on. They've got great instincts, and that's what I like too is when you get to hunt a species and you get to appreciate them because you know, they are so switched on or they are tough to get close to. And even though these things were in the croak, they, they were still, you know, they'd pick you up. You made any mistakes or, or exposed yourself at all or, you know, any wind or anything, they're out of there, you know. And, and a lot of times, like hunting elk, you're hunting the does, so you're trying to beat 15 sets of eyes <laughs> just to get to that buck. Yeah. But but it was a riot, man. You will love to hunt them. And they're That's colored awesome. all the way from white all the way to black and everywhere in between. So they've got some gorgeous coats and then the racks like proportionally to their bodies are just so big you know they're just with that big palm up top and the the eye guards and they're just a really cool species man you're gonna have a blast that's awesome i can't wait and so you know and so it's it's, it's all that kind of stuff you know we've done steambuck and diker and waterbuck and i mean it's just a neat place i think everybody needs to go over there once like i said you know my, my wife loved the culture it's just so different than what we experience here um you know and there's a lot of a lot of opportunities and different things you can do so that's that's the main thing that's on my uh my on my list this year we're we're um we're actually expecting our second boy in august so we'll see hunting season may be a little tight for me this year but um you know we're definitely gonna make time for deer hunting my, my six-year-old he's he's in it <laughs> you know so he's already already asking about that and you know, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. So yeah. Well, c- uh, congratulations on the Thanks. new hunt partner. It. Yeah, that'll be Appreciate great. It. And that trip to Africa will be unreal. Just as you start mentioning those species, the diker oh, yeah. and the, you know, they just, they all have to be like a different experience over there and you get a pretty good bang for your buck when you, you research do. the right spot out you there, do. you get to hunt multiple animals. Um, I just think it'd be so fun to just stalk through those prairies of Africa and be able to see those animals and have um, you know different opportunities on different species. Yeah. I think that's that's got to well, be I mean, a really. It's, it's like the only way I can describe it because we go we go to around the Port Elizabeth Grahamstown area, which and then we hunt north and what they call the Karoo. So you spend half the time in one camp, half the time in the other, and it would be like saying, "Hey, I'm going to take you to Oregon." Uh, Colorado, Montana, Texas, and Southern Arizona, all in 10 days. And you don't have to buy a tag for anything until you shoot it. And you can decide to shoot or not shoot anything that you see, you know, and it's like, that's the only way to describe it. And so what happens is like, for example, you'll hunt some, you know, it's like bushbuck or like their mule deer, you know, their kudu or like elk, um, you know, and Paula would be like, or springbuck would be like their antelope, you know? And so you get, you can, and then, you know, obviously they have warthogs. And so you can kind of get the same kind of hunts, but all in one sort of condensed time frame, Right. And so, um, you know, it, it's, 
it's funny like everybody we've ever taken over there they leave basically saying man it's like getting seven years worth of hunting experience and jammed into one thing you know and I, there's no there's no other way to describe it because all the animals you hunt them so differently it's like you know uh it's just it, i don't even know how else to describe it because you know I've, I've done that and then flip side you know last year we did alaska and then turn around september went to or sorry did africa and then turn around in september went to alaska with somebody's on a drop camp caribou and you want to talk about polar opposite experience yeah i bet like everything um i thought you described it really well that is it's fun to see how those species fit into their environment right and then be able to relate it to what you've hunted before and and uh kind of what they do what a neat experience but then yeah how drastically different than to go up to alaska and do a drop caribou hunt how fun was that hunt man that was awesome and i you know I don't know that I've done better and, you know, and, and we've done some DIY antelope draws and, you know, I mean, we've, we've hunted all over the place, um, for different things. And I don't know that there was a better trip. And I, and I think at the same time, you know, we took, uh, three buddies from church that were all pretty close and, and, you know, even afterwards we were even closer than we have been. So it was like a full hunting experience, not just about the animal, not just about drop camp, doing it yourself, but like the buddy experience and the relationships. I mean, it was like, full package you know um which is is super neat and you know i have to say thanks to the guys at eastman's we, we i called you guys early on and we're like looking for some general places to grab knowledge and um you know because there wasn't a ton of, of specific podcasts or shows or anything out there and so just knowing what you're trying to get into and the different rules and all that kind of stuff and then you know uh, uh brandon turned me on to the the guys at caribou game bags which I mean, awesome guys had great knowledge and really good product. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was just super fun. We flew up to Cotsview, hunted unit 23. Um, and I don't know, there's not a better feeling, <laughs> a better and weird feeling than when somebody kicks you out of an airplane and flies off and you're 200 miles from anything. It's the wildest feeling I've ever had. Like I can go into the wildernesses here in the lower 48, and I love those adventures and what they offer, but I can pretty much walk out of any place in a day, too, if I'm way in the heck back. But you're right. When that plane takes off and you're 100 miles or 200 (laughs) miles from the nearest town and five different river systems and a bunch of muskeg, like like you're out there. There's – I've never felt – like it's never felt so wild to me. It's like you're yeah. just drop. You just feel like it's just you out there. There's no roads. There's no infrastructure. There's no house on the hill. There's no highways. Like you are just out there. It, I, it's a deafening silence, which is awesome. You know, we. I think the, the craziest thing, you know, you would. <laughs> there were a couple of days in, you didn't know whether you were just getting crazy for being out there or what, but you, we kept hearing this sounded like a jet just you know sound and at night we were seeing the northern lights which is awesome in itself you know because we were inside the arctic circle and we finally got back to you know when they picked us up and we got back to town i asked the lady like what is causing that like what is that i swear we were hearing it sounded like jets but we never saw anything and she was like oh yeah this time of year like in that particular place you can actually hear northern lights sometimes if it's really clear you know and so it was just neat you know we saw um muskox we saw grizzlies you know we had issues with grizzlies in camp every single night and they stole a ton of our caribou but you know it all it all made for the experience 
Yeah, what a wild adventure. And how fun are those caribou? To, uh, I'd like describe oh, them as like an antelope with 400-inch horns, but their their <laughs> antlers are so big for their bodies. Yeah. There's just they nothing are. funner to go chase around. They're just like, when else can you hunt something with 45 points on his head? You know, yeah. these just giant racks that kind of shake and wobble as they, as they walk around. I have fallen in love with hunting oh, yeah. caribou. They are so fun to hunt. I mean, that's, that's one I could easily see myself getting obsessed with. And then the thing about it, though, I think people will listen and, and, and we've talked to people about it and they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's expensive. I'll never do that. Well, man, it's, it's pretty darn, if you DIY it, it's pretty darn affordable. You know, I think, I think as an individual, we were in about $5,100 a piece and that was included everything. Airfare from or from Austin, Texas, all the way to Cottsview, into the field, back, the gear, um, you know, you bring your own gun and then sleeping bag and all that kind of stuff. And they had food and, you know, it was, it was mountain house, you know, and, and backpacking style, but, um, it was super affordable for, you know, for what it is, but yeah, but, and they hunt different than anything else I've hunted just in terms of how they travel. And, and it's amazing. Yeah, they just um they they wander around uh quite a bit and you can't ever catch up with a moving caribou. They move across that muskeg. They just glide across it just effortlessly. But it's so funny you say that cuz like and you hear that like that's the if you listen to podcasts and all that kind of stuff, everybody will call that like the number one caribou scent. It's like do not waste your time chasing caribou. But you cannot resist. Like we we were I got two caribou. We we had two other hunters, and and you know we're we're a couple days in, three days in, and man, we more than less we were basically climbing to a high spot and then using our spotting scopes and then seeing where they were going. I mean, you just kind of cut them off. Well, we had some that had passed us, but it was a huge hurt, a huge hurt, and we're like, and they were at that point in time that like the weather hadn't changed right, you know, and and people they were still till the last day we were hunting, they were still going north, and all of a sudden they all just started coming south, but. Um, we're like, ah, yeah, surely we can. Yeah, come on. There's a, they're going to meander and we'll catch them. Dude, based on our GPS and the time that we went about a mile and a quarter, they gained about a mile and a half on us. Um, and it's just, and you, you look back and you're like, yeah, I should have listened to everybody, but you, you just, you can't resist yourself. You try it one time. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I spend my first four days chasing them around until I finally learn my lesson and go, okay, I got to move in front of one. That's what's yeah. got to happen here, but they'll be going right for so long and then they'll change and go right back left or, you know, they, they're just so random with their movement, but what a fun species to hunt. Yeah, yeah. What a great adventure and a great blue collar adventure too. Yes. And there, there's a bunch of different options too yeah. like the flow trip that you've done like i've, I've done yeah. that probably close to the river system that you've done yeah. which is just a wild adventure and then i've yeah. i've also done the hall road which is extremely oh, affordable no yeah like a couple thousand really? bucks uh all together airfare everything and then you all can right. travel and use your pickup truck but you can bring a team of guys and relocate and um it's just a, a really neat adventure where you can then go chase those caribou off that haul road. And, and what a great opportunity for, for the locals of Alaska and, and the, um, you know, the, the guys that are traveling from the States up there, they just make it affordable for you. So yeah, I've been up the last couple of years doing that and then we'll, awesome. we'll see about this year, but I'm like you, I'm kind of hooked on those caribou. They're fun to chase around. They are. And people, I mean, I tell you what, the meat was some of the best and I've had all kinds of stuff. I mean, the meat was some of the best I've ever had. I don't know. The only way I can describe it is it's super, super iron rich, but tender. It's like uh, somebody asked me to describe it. Closest thing I've, I've had, I'm like, well, 
this is going to sound terrible, but it's like a really good tasting duck that doesn't taste muddy. You know, it's just dense meat, um, but it has like no real bad flavor to it. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's a real rich and, and it's real protein rich too. Yeah. And, and then like in that September, that August, September, you know, they've got a lot of fat on them. They've been eating all summer long in those grasses. But yeah, the, the meat is so good. I brought... Um, I'm still eating on mine from from last season as well, nice. and uh, the meat is so good. Every time I pull out a steak, I know it's going to turn out 100%. Well, it's funny. We've cooked them so many different ways. Like we've cooked them, you know, uh, you know, pan-seared them in onions, and then we have chicken fried them, have made jalapeno poppers out of them, you know, you name it. And as a group, all the guys were like – it's, it's kind of funny. We'll, we'll Somebody will cook, cook it, and then basically – take a picture of it and send it to everybody. Like, hey, this is how I cooked it. But we will all sit down and talking about it. And it's like, literally, I don't know that I've had it any better than just butter and onions, quick sear and done. Like, it's the weirdest thing where like elk and stuff or white tail, like, oh yeah, you want to put it with something or, you know, make something out of it. Like caribou, I would just rather just sear it and eat it. I mean, it's amazing. Yep. I'm the same way. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> well, yeah. I um. Thanks a bunch for taking the time on a, a Monday morning, Derek. I really appreciate it. And so, Absolutely. Iota, um, check out their bases and rings. Best ones made. Check out their stocks. Best stocks made. Um, attention to detail, as you can hear talking to Derek here. And then you guys are also part of a, a bigger custom <laughs> rifle making company, right, Derek? Correct. Yeah. So we also run uh, Horizon Firearms. So. We do kind of our mantra is we do uh, truly custom rifles. So we guarantee everything accurate, um, you know, just like a lot of uh, custom rifles. But but kind of for us, it was like, well, if you're going to get a custom rifle, you know, yes, you want to be accurate. That should be a no brainer. Right? Everybody's better be accurate. Um, if it's, but we wanted to do very, very custom stuff. So we do some unique fluting patterns. We do a lot of custom paint jobs. I mean, right now we're building a rifle for a guy who's super into Batman. So we have custom 3D printed um, Batman logo cheek pieces. We have literally uh, taken a, one of his favorite 1970s Batman comic strips, and we've inlaid it into the carbon fiber stock. Uh, I mean, just it, that kind of stuff, right? And so you don't have to get that crazy, but at the same time, you know, kind of what we did when we started that company and where IOTA was really spun off of is we wanted to create a product that we focused on the grandkid that was going to inherit it, right? So, you know, everybody has those nostalgic moments of, you know, granddad's rifle or dad's rifle or whatever. And so we just said, you know, if, if, if we're going to build something, let's let them – put their individual flair on to it so that when that gets passed down, it becomes an heirloom type piece. And so, you know, yes, we do create, you know, we do simple, if you want to call them simple, very, very accurate builds. And we do some pretty um, eccentric builds, but yeah. And then that kind of gives us the platform for IOTA um, to develop new products. And, and so when we see stuff on that side, it's like, okay, well, it makes sense to do this and this and this, and then we can take that to a, a, a bigger mass market on the IOTA side. Man, how cool. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to check out Horizon as soon as I get off the podcast and check awesome. out what, what you guys are building there. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks again. You guys are just making the best products out there. Appreciate um, it. I really appreciate your time, and it was really nice uh, meeting you and getting to sit down for a long-form uh, conversation. You too, absolutely, anytime. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, Eric. All right, guys, that's a wrap. 
yeah, really fun conversation with Derek. Um, just a great company, Iota. We really appreciate their support. So if you're in the market for new rings and bases, make sure to check them out or also rifle stocks. Um, I just love that they have that level on the side of their uh, – is it their rings or their base? I think the the base is what goes on your rifle, so it'd be the rings. So they have a, a level right on that ring that just keeps you from, from canting your rifle, which just has a, a major effect on accuracy. And I find it with my bow shooting out here in the wind all the time. The, the canting really makes a difference on it, and um, I... Uh, and it, it makes a difference on a, on a rifle, too, uh, shooting long range and also shooting close range. So, um, yeah, just super interesting stuff. So just want to thank Derek for being on the podcast again and thank IOTA for um, sponsoring the podcast. We sure appreciate the support over here. And over at Eastman's, um, yeah, we're just working hard to bring out good content. Um, yeah, the, the I just saw the new hunting journal came out. Uh, the bow hunting journal before that. Um, yeah, just some, some great articles in there leading up to season. Um, gosh, we had the, you know, there's some new shows coming out on the outdoor channel. Be on the lookout for that and set your DVR. My, uh, my DVR I think is, um, retarded. Can I say that? (laughs) It's, uh, gosh dang it. It's, uh, it, um, you know, I got it scheduled to record Eastman's or a couple hunting shows. I don't know what happened, but it just stopped recording them for me. It made me go in and, and uh, re-record it. I don't know. It's always fighting me. It's like the joke of my house that anytime I want to watch something, like the DVR will mess up and not record it, whether it's uh, you know a football game or some fights or something I want to watch. The one time I recorded fights, my wife thought this was so funny. So I was recording some fights. Some UFC fights. I think that's what it was, right? No, no, it was um, was it? No, it was a, a Seahawks game. So um, I come from Seattle originally, and so um, it's the one team I really enjoy to watch. And so I'll record them. It's usually during hunting season, and then you know I'll watch it the next day. Try not to see the results. Well, anyways, I had recorded the Seahawks game so I could watch it. And uh, late Sunday night, I got home and I go to flip on the Seahawks game. And it's all in Spanish. <laughs> My wife just thought it was hilarious, you know, because it's just vintage for me. It's like something always messes up when I want to record a, a show. But, I mean, I guess that's just life. I think that's with anybody, you know. You, you can't get too upset. So I just watched it with the volume down. I don't understand Spanish too well, but she just thought that was hilarious. That was the funniest thing in our house for a while. <laughs> but yeah, me and my DVR, me and my techni- uh, technologically uh, 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 challenged mind, you know, I'm just, uh, uh, it it always gets me. It seems like that that DVR outsmarts me or whatever, but yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, great podcast with Derek, really fun. Uh, like I say, I got some buddies coming out this weekend, really looking forward to that. And um yeah, we'll hunt bears here these last three days of season. I've been training like a madman. I uh, ran the last four days. A um, couple of those runs were good 10-mile runs in a row. Really putting the fatigue on my legs, hitting my weights, uh, shooting more arrows, um, You know, just really trying to challenge myself to get better. So uh, I've, I've got a higher arrow count that I'm doing every single day. And then just, um, you know, and I'm going to do a podcast on how to prepare for a hunt once you know you have a tag. Like, I just drew this Colorado tag, and um, God, it sure lights a fire under me. And not that I wasn't training hard already or thinking about season, but just kind of finishing up bear season and um, 
just really ramped up my training, knowing that I got that Colorado hunt, big 14,000 foot peaks. And I just want to be ready for hunting season for, for all hunts that I'm going to do. You just enjoy yourself so much more and you're more effective. Your attitude's better just when you're in really good shape. And so, uh, yeah, I've been training hard, uh, on my legs and training hard with my bow, just super excited for season. I, I swear every season I get more and more fired up. So I, I'm going to be so well prepared for this year and, and uh, really come in swinging and see what I can do. I'm so freaking excited. As I know you guys are too. Uh, that's that's the beauty of this thing is this podcast. Um, I just share my passion for hunting and try to get you guys some tactics here and there. But I know you guys are just as passionate about uh, you know hunting season and, and the hunts you guys got coming up. And uh, that's what... That's what makes this thing go around. So um, it's pretty cool. I'm really pulling for you guys this year too. Keep working hard towards your goals. Season's going to be here before we know it. The time to prepare and be ready and get ready is right now. So keep working hard. I'll check in with you guys next week.